So today we're continuing our series, Walk Like Jesus, and this is um, the most difficult, this is, the, this is the part of the series that's the hardest truth, okay? So, so everybody lift your right hand, if you're online, lift your right hand, you can put a little hand emoji up, lift your right hand, I have to swear you in, we have to do a disclaimer before the service, okay? Just lift your right hand, say, I love the little preacher, I love the little preacher, I won't be mad at him. As long as he tells me the truth. All right, good. Okay, you're sworn in now. You're sworn in. Good, good, good. Okay, so this is the hardest, this is the hardest truth. Um, we're going to talk about, I'm going to give you three ways today that you can become more like Jesus as a servant. Okay? The whole point of the series is walk like Jesus. And uh, Jesus was a servant, and we're going to see that. So the reason that that's tough for us is because we live in a consumer culture. Now, what I don't mean by that is we all consume, right? We consume air and water and food and sleep, and you know we consume to live. But that's not what I mean. That's true for all humans. We, especially in America, live in a consumeristic society, but because we've lived in it all of our life, we're not very aware of it. We're not aware of what it does and what it means and what it teaches. Um, so think about it like this. All of our life, we've been treated like a consumer. So we've been treated like a consumer whose preferences matter you know, more than anything else, whose preferences are king. So by the time you and I reach adulthood, we've already heard millions of messages and we've had millions of experiences that teach us that we are a consumer. So what I just want to ask you is, what do you think the net effect of taking a person from the time they're born and communicating to them and giving them experiences all their life and saying, you're a consumer, you're a consumer, you're a consumer, you're a consumer. What do you think the effect that that might have on a person? Well, it makes them begin to live, breathe, think, act, talk, walk like a consumer, right? That's what happens. And so we're taught that um, we as consumers have a lot of power, like that our preferences are what matters most, our favorite color and our favorite style and where we like to eat and what experiences we like to have and what movies are our favorite movies and what patterns or designs or, you know, entire industries rise around meeting our preferences. And so um, what, what, what the challenge is is we are taught, here's the philosophy of consumerism, the better quality of things you consume, the more life you have. So in other words, hey, if a vacation to Gatlinburg is fun and would give me a good life, imagine how much better my life would be if I could go to the Swiss Alps. Right? That's, that's consumerism. Or, hey, I've got a pair of jeans that are $100. Imagine if I could buy a pair of jeans that cost $500. Imagine how much better my life would be. Or, hey, I eat at this restaurant and it costs $50 and it was good food. But imagine if I could eat somewhere that costs $200. Imagine how much better my life would be. So this is the message of consumerism. The better the things that I consume, the better my life is, right? Or the more life that I have. Now, I'm not saying that these things don't cause, you know, an adrenaline spike. I'm not saying that they don't raise your blood pressure. I'm not saying that they don't uh, create an intellectual curiosity. 
But here's what I want to ask you. Is it true that it's in the consuming of those things that true life is found? Jesus had a different definition. And we see it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. That doesn't sound anything like consumerism, right? And take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So let's compare the two philosophies this morning then. Consumerism says life is found in consuming. Jesus says life is found in giving yourself away. So Jesus is saying the more of a servant that you are, the better your life will be, the more life that you'll have. Now, this series um, causes us to ask hard questions, right? So, so we said after the pandemic, look, we can't go back to what we were before. One of the things that we see in our own culture is a deficiency in the depth of our faith. And so we've been saying this message at Kingwood for a while now. We've got to go deeper, which is the whole reason this series, one of the reasons this series came along. This series is one of the things that we're doing. We've got to talk about deeper things in our faith and what it really means to be like Jesus. And so that causes us to ask hard questions like, are you living a Jesus life? If Jesus lived here in central Alabama today, would you, would you be living like he's living? Or, or are you living some other kind of life? It, it causes us to ask questions um, like, like these and so I want to give you kind of a scale this morning and ask you a hard question. On the servant scale, where are you at? Do you live more like a consumer or do you live more like a servant? Now look, this isn't a scientific scale because I made it up, <laughs> right? There's no, there's no research that's been done on this, okay? It's not, it's not that. But it does cause us to kind of ask, like if... If I live to consume things and I believe that the best life I could ever have is doing the most things and consuming the most things for myself, that's like a minus five. Like a plus five is like, if you look at my life and Jesus' life, you can't tell a difference. Now look, that's not true for anybody, right? So nobody's a five. If you put five, erase it. Like you're not a five. Nobody's a five. Scribble through. Nobody's a five. So, so the reason I'm saying that this is a hard topic is because it's a lifelong journey. Like none of us just pop up one day and, you know, we're like Jesus. <laughs> it's, a, it's a journey. But as we take steps in, his, in, in the place where he left his footprints, we become a little more like him every step that we take. So where are you at on this scale of consumerism? And by the way, look, we all have some consumerism in us because that's the culture we grew up in. We, we, don't, we don't know a different way, so it takes a long time to transform that out of us. It's a, gut, it's a gut check question that compares our life to the life of Jesus. Now, Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 10 what his life is like. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus' life was diametrically opposed to this idea of consumerism. 
Now, according to consumerism, Jesus was a failure. According to consumerism, Jesus lived a terrible life. You know why? We don't know what any of his preferences were. Do you know what Jesus' favorite color is? Do you know what his favorite hairstyle was or his favorite clothes or what his favorite food is? I don't know how to find any of that out. It's not in the Bible. I guess it doesn't matter. So see, Jesus was a failure in the, in, in the philosophy that you're defined by what you consume and the more, the better things you consume, the better your life is. Jesus would have failed at that test. This is so countercultural that when we look at Jesus' life, we're actually tempted to feel sorry for him. Poor little Jesus. He's just a servant, you know, just washing feet. There he goes again, you know. Poor little Jesus. But Jesus didn't come to earth just to die. Like he could have just been born at 33 and just died. He came to earth to show us how to live. He came to earth to show us the best. So if you were to ask Jesus, Jesus, how do you think your life went? Do you think we should pity you? Jesus would have said, don't pity me. I lived a better life than most of the people you envied. I had more joy and more peace and more freedom and more purpose, and I lived a richer life with deeper engagement and more passion. He lived abundant life. So we're not to feel sorry for Jesus. We're not to pity Jesus. We're to hunger for what he had. We're to hunger for how he lived. It's a whole upside-down perspective. So this morning, let me give you three ways that you can break the spirit of consumerism off your life and become more like Jesus. Number one, find your God-given gifts and use them to serve people. So one of Jesus' gifts was that he was a teacher. So Jesus often found himself teaching his disciples in a small group. Sometimes he would teach large crowds. Jesus was a teacher. As a matter of fact, one time he got lost at 12 years old and they find him in the temple talking to the teachers. The gift's already, already working. But Jesus used that gift to serve the people around him and to leverage it to make an impact on them. So what I'm saying is, is when you find the spiritual gifts that God has given you and you use them to advance God's purposes, you become less of a consumer and more of a servant. That's what happens. Your, your life changes. You transform. And, and so here, here's what I've learned about serving. When you, when there's, when you don't serve, there's no tension. There's no tension. I mean, it th- things, are, things are simple. They're clear. They're easy. You come in. You sing the song. You, I like that song. I don't like that song. I, I, like, I like that sermon. I don't like that sermon. You know, I like that coffee. I don't like this coffee. I like when the lights are like this. I don't like when the lights are like that. See, when you don't serve, there's no tension. Everything's one-dimensional. You just evaluate. Based on what? Your own preferences. But man, when you start to serve, there's tension. And here's where the tension comes in. You start to serve and you say, I thought this was a church. I thought everybody here acted like Jesus. And you start to look around and you go, did that lady shade some attitude on me? Did you see that look? What was she thinking? 
And I just, you know, I came here to serve. I didn't know it was going to happen like that. And who left this mess out here? Why is this out here? Why does our technology not work? Why does the screen keep blinking on and off? You know, crazy things start to happen. Tension, tension, things get tense. And then one day you lose your mind and become a leader. You know? And then things really start to, and you start to say, man, why, you know, why are people so unreliable? Why is half my team late all the time? You know, why don't they communicate? Man, I haven't seen this guy in a couple of weeks. Is he still on our team? I don't even know if he's on our team. Where's he at? And what does it cause? Tension. And then things get really crazy. And you start asking crazy questions about yourself. Like, I thought I was a better leader than that. I thought I treated people better. I thought I was a, a better example. Maybe I should be a better example. You know, I just keep telling people what to do, but I do something different. I didn't know that they do what I did, not what I told them. Maybe I should, you know, maybe you start to look inside. Maybe I could communicate better. Maybe I could serve better. Maybe I could lead better. And things begin to get crazy inside yourself. And one day it dawns on you, wait a minute, I think I get it. All people are broken and we're on this healing journey together and God has dropped me in the middle of this mess as a servant. Isn't that how Jesus lived? The Father dropped him in the middle of this mess we call humanity and he served his way through it. And let me tell you, when you enter your life into that tension, your life changes. You start to see things different. You start to value different things. When you start to serve, you start to walk in the tension that Jesus walked in. So what, what, what could you do? Well, look, if you go onto our website, onto the next step section, and you go to start serving, if you go into that portal, there is a spiritual gifts assessment that you can take. It's free. You just follow the links and it will help you narrow down what are the gifts that God gave you. And when you find those gifts, you can also find some places on the site where you could serve at our church and where those gifts will make a difference. But look, that's not the only application. You can also take the spiritual gifts that God gave you to advance the kingdom of God in your home. So let's give you an example. Maybe your gift is teaching. Well, why don't you lead a devotional for your family like 10 minutes a week, bring them all together, use that gift. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. And so maybe what you could do is use that spiritual gift for a spiritual purpose. Like at work, you could ask someone out to lunch who you know, is down, needs encouragement, needs Jesus, something, but you could ask them out and look, hospitable people are fun to be around. Maybe that's your gift. Maybe you have the gift of mercy. There's a lady in our church when, when my wife was more well and she was able to come every week, she would come and just sit beside her every week. She would leave wherever her friends were. She wouldn't sit with the people that she knew. She would come every week, and I don't know if she has the gift of mercy or hospitality, or I don't know what her gift is, but it was in action. And her presence was so comforting to my wife, and it made such a difference. Uh, look, you can go on a missions trip. You want to serve. You want to follow Jesus' footsteps. Man, jump on one of our missions teams and go and serve people in another culture who maybe don't have very much to give you back. 
And I'm telling you, it, it'll, here's what people always say every time they go on a mission trip. I went you know, to make a difference, and what happened is, is my life changed so much. So when you engage, things start to change. So whether it's in the church, in the community, in your family, wherever it's at, find your gifts and serve with them. Number two, practice generosity. By the way, it takes practice. Most of us aren't born with it. Um, I remember when I went to, my wife and I went to our first church, and we were youth pastors, and I was sitting beside the pastor's son in service one day, and he looked at me, he said, what size shoe you wear? And I said, about nine and a half. And he goes, well, these are tens, would you like to have them? And I went, man, we're at church, like I don't, and my brain starts going through all the things, like are you going to walk home barefooted? Like, I didn't know, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to process all that. And so he, after service, he just handed them to me, he said, take these, and he walked home in his socks. And I said, why did you do that? And he said, because these shoes are my favorite pair and they're starting to mean too much to me and I don't want anything to rule my heart but Jesus. So every time that happens, I give it away. And then I learned where he got it because about a month later, I was over at his parents' house. His dad was our pastor. And I walked in and I said, hey man, I, 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 let me just admit this. This is my confession. I enjoy a good foot game, okay? So whether it's socks or shoes, like I, like I like those things. So I said, hey, I like those socks. And he said, oh, really? Okay. And then a few minutes later, he came out in a Walmart bag, and he had tied it up, and he had the socks in it. I said, what are they? He goes, those are socks you said you liked. I said, I didn't mean it like that. Like, I just, I mean, I like the socks for you. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't asking to have them. He goes, yeah, same thing. They mean too much to me. It's time to give them away. And I always, I never forgot that, and I always admired that in them, because, and that's what generosity does. It allows all the material things not to rule your heart. So here's how Jesus said it. By the way, this is what Jesus said. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and, ver I don't know what a vermin is, but you gotta, you gotta watch out for them. Destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where malls and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So think about what you just heard, these words of Jesus, these philosophies of Jesus, these truths of Jesus. Do not store up treasure on heaven. Do store up treasure on earth. I'm sorry. I got it backwards. Can you rewind the tape and we start over? <laughs> do not, I just gave you a good example of what not to do. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth. Do store up for yourself treasure in heaven. And then he gives us this principle. And the principle says this, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to go. That's where your heart is going to, to live and to be. So here's the question, where's your heart? If you were to look at your bank account and your credit statement and your Venmo and your PayPal and you know how many ever more there are now, whatever they are, if you were to look at those line items for a month, where would it tell you your heart is? Is it, is it a consumer or is it as a servant? Is it in heaven or is it on earth? Where, where's your heart? Because Jesus said, 
where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Now, uh, the Bible's given us a wonderful, wonderful tool to help us practice generosity. It's called tithing. And what it means is, is that we take the first 10% of what we have and we bring it first to God and we say, Lord, this is, this is yours. It's not mine. And, and what happens when we do that is, is we break the spirit of consumerism off our life. And we say, I'm first a servant and then secondarily whatever else that I am. Now, um, that, that, might be a, um, that might be a difficult thing. You know, maybe you've never lived that way. And so my encouragement to you is, you know, start with one or two or three or five or start, start small and grow. And, um, you know, maybe you're here and you say, hey, look, the f- economy's tough. My personal finances are in a mess. I'm in a lot of debt. On our website, we have a, a, a tab called, uh, under next steps called Manage Well. And we've put a ton of resources there to help with all kinds of things, with budgeting, with getting out of debt, with uh, good stewardship, good financial management. There's information there about tithing, about giving. I highly recommend that you go there uh, and, and get the resources that you need. But here, here's the question for us today. Only the church, only the church, not, not the uh, local restaurant, not the local college, not the local school, not the local store. There's only one group of people in the entire world that carry the mission of Jesus to the whole world. So here's the question. Do you believe if Jesus lived in central Alabama in 2023 that he would invest his treasure in the church? Well, if he didn't, it would tell us his heart was not there. Can you imagine Jesus' heart not being in the church? I I can't fathom that. Like, I can't fathom Jesus' heart not being in the church. I remember um, several years ago, there was a couple in our church. They, she came and found Jesus, and then he kind of reluctantly came later and found Jesus. And after about a year or so, man, they were growing. And um, then about two years into their journey, they had to relocate and move to Georgia. And I'll never forget, I happened to run into them in the parking lot after their, at their last Sunday at church. And I just went over and hugged them and said, man, we're going we're gonna to miss you. And we've seen how good God's been in your life. And, you know, we're so grateful for what we see in your life. And he looked at me. He was a very, um, you know, kind of together, organized, kind of calculated person. And he looked at me and he said, hey, I want to tell you, this is, you know, unsolicited. He just, this was our, these were our last words we ever spoke. And he said, I just want to tell you something. He said, um, when we came, I didn't get it. But he said, I want you to know, n- now I get it. He said, see, I thought that it was about me and it was about me and my wife and it was about us and it was about our stuff and it was about what we could get to do in life. He said, but I learned that that's not what it's about. And he goes, I want you, I want to thank you before we leave for teaching me to tithe. Because I didn't get it, but now I get it. And I want you to know how much tithing has changed our life. And that's the last time I ever saw them. (laughs) And they moved, but that's what he wanted me to know. And so when you practice generosity, it is counter-cultural. It is the opposite. So number three, embrace 
the identity of a servant. Um, so this is the big one, okay? This is, this is the one where we get down into the core of, of what the message is, the core. We're about, to, we're about to travel into the core of Jesus' life. So sometimes a person says, I, 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 I have a serving role at church. And what they mean is, is they mean that for an hour or two a month I serve, or an hour a week I serve, or at an event I serve, but otherwise I live my life like a consumer. But for that hour, or those two hours, or that one spot a month, or that event I serve, it's an event or a role, it's not an identity. But see, serving is an identity, it's something you carry with you everywhere you go, because it's who you are. And so that's what I mean when I say embrace serving as an identity. When you serve in a role, you're in charge. So you decide, when do I serve, how long do I serve, who do I serve, and all of that. But when, you're, when serving is an identity for you, you give up being in charge. And you say, I don't decide those things anymore. Jesus decides them for me because it's my identity. It's who I am. I'm a servant. So embracing the identity of a servant is giving up the right to be in charge because it's not what you do. It's who you are. So I want to ask you four questions this morning that will help you discern your identity level as a servant. Number one, if you had the opportunity to do something that would make a giant impact, but no one would ever know you did it, would you still do it? Number two, if you knew the people who you served would never thank you or return the favor, would you still serve them? Number three, if there was no way to ever measure the results of your service, would you still serve? Number four, if you could never feel good about your service, would you still serve? See, these are, these are um, discerning questions that get right to the heart of who we are and of who Jesus was that helps discern, is serving a, an action that I do, is it an activity or is it an identity? Because if we're going to walk like Jesus, it's going to have to be an identity. In my own life, I've been doing a, a, a deep dive in the book of Philippians, and Philippians chapter 2 has been called the most counter-cultural chapter in the Bible. And what I want to do is I want to read from Philippians 2, 5, and 6 that really grabs this idea. Philippians 2, 5 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What is this verse about? It's about power, and it's about authority, and it's about influence. So Jesus had the greatest power in the history of the world. He was God. But the Bible says he never used it to his own advantage. Have you ever used power, authority, influence, leverage to your own advantage? And the answer is, yes, we all have. <laughs> right? Yes. But this is the core of being a servant. So how do you embrace an identity as a servant? List the advantages that you have. List 
the places of power that you have. And maybe you say, I don't, I'm just, I, you don't know. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have any power. I don't have any influence. I don't have any uh, authority. I don't have any leverage. Yes, you do. Maybe you're a dad. And, you know, you're the, as in most homes, you're the strongest person in your family physically. That's an advantage. You're, you're the man. You're strong. Your wife's smaller and weaker. How do, you, how do you use that advantage? What do you do with it? You look in your eyes of your children as they stare up at you, and you're a big giant. How do you use that advantage? Maybe you're on a sports team, and you're the strongest one on the team. Do you use that advantage for your own purposes? Do you leverage that in your own favor? Maybe you have positional power. That's the easiest one to see. Maybe you're an, a manager, an employer, a boss, a pastor, a doctor. Maybe you're a recognized expert in some field. So to be a servant means I'm not going to ever use the power or the advantage that I have for my own advantage. I'm going to leverage it to serve. Maybe you have um, personal power, like your personality is strong, or, or, or you have um, some kind of, uh, may, maybe in some rooms that you go in, you're the most educated person in the room. Maybe in some rooms that you sit in, you're the most experienced person in the room. You have an advantage. You have more knowledge. You have more experience. You have more skill. You have more understanding. Maybe you're the best communicator in some rooms, so you can just out-talk other people. How are you going to use that? What do you do with that? Have you ever used that for your own advantage? Maybe in some rooms that you go in, you have more money than everybody in the room. What do you do with it? I'm saying to you, how you use those positions and moments of power says everything about your identity. It is the core. It is the core. Never, 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 never will you ever be more like Jesus than the moment that you have an advantage and you use it to serve someone else and not to benefit yourself. You'll never be more like Jesus than in that moment. When I was a, a kindergartner, you remember kindergarten? It's a kindergartner. My teacher uh, said to me, hey, will you go into the desk and hand me whatever it was, an eraser or something. And I thought, I can remember just being a little kid and thinking, I get to go in the teacher's desk. You know, every, how many of you know the teacher's desk is a mystery? You know, there's all kind of stuff in there. There's dragons and you know, there's crazy things in there. The teacher's desk. And I remember going up in the teacher's desk and thinking, I'm going to get to see what's inside the desk. And so I pulled the middle drawer open. I look in there. You know, I'm kind of like this, looking in there, looking around. And I see this little um, mini Snickers bar. And I looked at the eraser and I looked at the candy bar. Looked at the eraser, looked at the candy bar. Man, that candy bar looks good. Wonder what would happen. So I reached my little nubber in there and I grabbed it and I stuffed it down deep in my pocket. And then I grabbed the eraser and I shut the drawer and I brought it to her, you know, hoping that she didn't notice. You know, she was older, so I thought maybe she'll forget. You know, I don't know. So I brought her the eraser. Now, what happened? That was a moment of power. 
She trusted me. She gave me trust. Therefore, I had leverage. How did I use it? For my own benefit. Now, I'm happy to say that the candy bar melted in my pocket (laughs) and became a puddle of chocolate. And I went home and licked it off the wrapper. (laughs) And I had like a donut of chocolate ring around my face. And can I tell you, it was the worst thing I ever ate because I felt sick at my stomach the whole time I ate it. And I felt so, isn't it funny? That was kindergarten. I still remember. And look, God is my witness. I don't know. To my memory, this is the best I remember. I think it's the last thing I ever stole. So I'm glad in a way it happened because it hurt me. It hurt my heart. But don't, don't tell me there aren't moments at work or in marriage, or in parenting, or in friendships, that you don't see some attractive thing that you want to wrap your little nubber around and grab and say, this is, this, is a, this is a moment, I have leverage. I have an advantage. And I'm saying to you, when you grab it and you use it for your own benefit, you are a consumer. And I'm saying when you grab it and you say, God, how can I steward this moment, this title, this job, this leverage, this position, this education, this knowledge, this money, this whatever it is, how can I leverage this to advance your kingdom? That's the heart of it. In that moment, you'll never be more like Jesus because he considered equality with God something not to be used for his own advantage. And that's where we are. So I've got a great quote from Pastor Benjamin Creamer. He said, we keep reaching for our gavels, our weapons, our money, and our flags. Jesus reached for a manger, a a wash basin, a table, and a cross We don't define power the way that Jesus does, and Jesus refuses to define power the way that we do. The most cross-cultural thing, counter-cultural thing that you and I will ever do in this life is serve. (laughs) So would you stand with me? As you seek in your own journey to go deeper with Jesus, I pray that God will lead you on a serving journey, that you won't serve as an event, but you'll become a servant. And I can't think of anything that you or I could do to become more like Jesus than just to become a servant. If you're online, our prayer team is there with you and present and ready to pray for you. And I hope if you have a prayer need today, you'll just drop it in the comment section because we want to encourage you and lift you up. We're going to sing this song, um, All Hail King Jesus. <laughs> and as we do, would you just remember the incredible example that Jesus has been, the countercultural example that Jesus has been to every one of us? Lord, today I thank you that you not only died for us, but you showed us how to live. And inside your life, are the secrets to life. Inside your life are the truths of life. And in order to have abundant life and full life, 
We've got to follow you as deeply as we can. So, Lord, this morning we come and bow and surrender underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we come to hail your name, (laughs) to give you worship, to give you our attention and our affection. In Jesus' name, let's sing it together.